Welcome, everybody. Romans chapter 3, beginning at verse 19 uh, through the end of the chapter is where we're going to be. Uh, now, lesson 6 in Romans. Thank you for everybody that's here in person and for those who are hearing on podcast. I am going to read just a couple verses at a time and then talk about those Romans as we talked about throughout the last five lessons is a very theological book. Paul wrote the book and we have been discovering up through half point of chapter three, literally that everybody is a sinner. We're born that way, whether you're a Jew, whether you're a Gentile, whether you're even a religious person, you can have sin in your life. Not that the Christian is uh, enslaved to sin, but how many knows Christians, sometimes we sin too. Hopefully we ask the Lord for forgiveness and get back on track. But uh, what Paul is doing here is he is showing that we need the righteousness of God. That's exactly what he's doing. He's showing us that we need God's righteousness uh, and that nothing else will do. We call this Bible study Back to the Basics in reference to those pro teams that have like spring practice. And they go back to the basics of hitting and catching and throwing and all those kinds of things. Well, we're going to go back to the basics of many of the principles of salvation and some of the doctrines that we have. Beginning with Romans chapter 3, verses 19 and 20. Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. If we were to sum up this section, these two verses, they basically tell us that the law cannot save us from our sin and that we deserve the penalty of sin. That's kind of what they're talking about. Remember that Paul is speaking to a mostly Jewish group of people. They're in Rome, but they are Christians who were formerly Jews, and they have been converted. So this is news to them. You can't be saved by the law. That's exactly what he's saying. The law will not save you by itself. So what Paul is pointing out is that all of that we have seen, the awfulness of man's sin, is revealed to us in the law. By the way, what, what do we mean by the law? The commandments. And those other 633 yeah. laws. Six, yeah, the 10 plus the other 600 and however many it is. But also the, the books of the law can be considered Genesis through Deuteronomy. Uh, those are technically the Pentateuch or the law. Paul's pointing out that what those books do, what those commandments do is show us that we uh, are sinful. That's the purpose of the law. If we didn't have the law, we wouldn't know what sin what sin is, technically. Although Paul in the first few chapters of Romans also told us that our conscience will reveal what is sin as well. 
So we need the law, and those who are under the law, what is happening is that their sin is being revealed. So whatever the law says to those under the law, why, what is the purpose of the law? To demonstrate the universal guilt of all mankind. And you can see that in that first couple of verses. It actually says to silence men. What do you think that means? To silence men. When it's talking about sin and it says it's to shut up the mouths of people and to show that we have a universal guilt as mankind. What does that mean? Why, why do people need to be the boasting, the, the self-righteousness? Sure, people try to justify. Uh, well, that wasn't that bad. You should see what Bill did, or you should see what, <laughs> sorry, Bill, or you should see what Johnny did. We have a tendency, if we don't watch it, to compare. What's this saying? He's saying, it doesn't matter who you compare yourself to. That's not what it's about. The law tells us that we are all sinners and that we deserve the punishment of what being a sinner is about and that we're guilty before God. So those who are under the law, in particular, he is speaking of the Jewish people, not just by birth or nationality, but also those who have taken upon Judaism as their faith or their religion. I mean, there is such a thing as a national Jew and a religious Jew, and they're not the same, believe me. I went to Israel, and you can tell the difference. Those who are very serious about their faith look different than those who are just from Israel. I'm a Jew. So by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified, is what it says. So the law cannot or can't justify anyone. It's useful in giving us the knowledge of sin, but it cannot save us. Good news for us, brand new news for those who were formerly Jews, and probably upsetting news. How many knows when we change things on our religious front where we're comfortable that people get upset? It's, it's true. If I walked in and said, we're going to do everything backwards Sunday morning. We're going to preach first, then take up the offering, and then sing. There'd be some people that would be upset by it. Yeah, we're getting rid of announcements. Because they take up valuable space and time and they disrupt the flow of the service. I'm sure some people probably were upset that we are not announcing things verbally like we used to do. The law reveals or gives us the knowledge of sin. How many knows that speaking of justification, the law cannot justify anything. Adam and Eve, the first to sin, and they tried to justify themselves. How did they do it? Blaming others. Well, they did blame others, but they actually took a physical action. What was that? They, cut, they tried to cover themselves. That was really the justification part because they suddenly realized that they're what? Naked. And so they try to cover themselves. They're successful in covering themselves physically, but not spiritually. If the law will not justify us and the law will not save us, 
then the law is not God's way of salvation. For the Jew was news to them. The law is not God's way of salvation. Even the, the funny thing is, though, that even in the Old Testament, there were clues to what God was doing. In the Old Testament, there were clues because it said Abraham believed God and was accounted to him for righteousness because he believed, not because he was the father of the faith, but because he had faith and believed. So there's some clues in the Old Testament, but this is out of their comfort zone. This is something new to them. The law by it is gives us the knowledge of sin. I love this particular paraphrase. Anybody ever heard of the J.B. Phillips Bible? I occasionally will read out of it just to do some research. It's a very literal Bible, uh, but it has a good commentary with it as well. So J.B. Phillips said, the law is the straight edge that shows us how crooked we are. I, I just get a picture of a ruler or a straight edge and if you compare that to us and our sin and our uh, capacity to sin, then that straight edge tells us that we're not perfect, uh, that we have the capacity and the ability to sin. Look at verse 21. But now, simple words matter. But now. What is the word but? It is a conjunction. I remember when I was a kid growing up and they had this thing called Schoolhouse Rock. Conjunction, junction, what's your function? Hooking up words and phrases and clauses and making them do what? Run right. So here is a conjunction that is tying all this talk about the law can't save you, the law can't justify you, but now. There's some good news that Paul is going to give to them. The righteousness of God, apart from the law, is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. So, but now speaks of some good news of God's work in and through Jesus Christ. What's this new work? It's the new covenant. If you open up your Bible, there is a division in your Bible between the old and the new Testament. It could as well say the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. And it is because of Christ. It is that but now that we see in this verse it is the news about Jesus Christ. Being witnessed by the law and the prophets. So this is what I said just a few minutes ago. There were clues in the law and the prophets that tell us about the coming of the Messiah, the coming of Jesus. So there's something that's going to foretell of this plan of God. Really, if you get real technical with the Old and New Testament or Old and New Covenant, Christ came not to not to abolish or not to get rid of the law, but to fulfill it. When we get saved, God goes all the way back to the Abrahamic covenant to give us a covenant that blesses us. Aren't you glad for the blessings of God? So there's this new, it says, but now, and it's telling us that there's some continuity throughout the Bible, even the Old Testament, foretelling us of the Messiah who is to come and 
uh, all the work that he will do. The righteousness of God apart from the law. Remember, he's speaking chiefly to Jewish people. And he's saying, you can be righteous and you can have God's righteousness, but it doesn't come through the law. It comes through a different way. It's apart from the law. Not a part of, it is separated from the law. The law can't save us. God's plan of salvation comes through Jesus. It's the salvation that is offered to us apart from the law. What does that mean? What are the commandments? They're do's and don'ts. They're essentially, they're ways, I want to say this, of earning or deserving the grace of God. That's kind of what the Old Testament is about. Although we know that's not really true, but that's the way the Jewish people would have looked at it. So there are some merit-based things and some things that were sacrifice of animals that were foreshadowing of what the Messiah would do. So it's apart from the law. You can't earn it. You can't deserve it. This new righteousness. Being witnessed by the law and prophets, what's Paul saying? I didn't invent this. This is not something new. I think that was important for Paul to say. Paul's saying there's clues of this in the Old Testament and in the law, but I, and I didn't invent this, this righteousness of God that does not come through the law. All right, let's look at verse 22. Even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe, for there is no difference. How does the righteousness of God come? Through faith in Christ. Who does it come to? To all who believe. So, uh, and there's no difference. There's no difference in whether you're a Jew or a Gentile, whether you're a male or a female, whether you're a slave or you are a slave owner, there is no difference in how you receive this righteousness of God for yourself. It comes to all and on all who believe. And it comes through faith in Jesus Christ. So it's through faith. Righteousness of God is comes through faith. We don't earn righteousness by our faith, but it comes through faith. What do I mean by that? If you think of a piece of conduit, that's the way that either water flows or electrical surge flows. But the conduit is just a vessel that holds it. It comes through the conduit, not the conduit is just a vessel. So faith is that way that we receive the righteousness of God through faith in Christ. For there is no difference. No other way, no matter who you are, is received through righteousness in Jesus Christ. I love this quote by Charles Spurgeon. But now we have one universal cure for what? For sin. The blood and righteousness of Jesus Christ will save every man who trusts him, for there is no difference. Everybody has hope for the cure of sin. 
through Jesus Christ. Everybody has that hope. Romans 3, 23 and 24. Let me recognize verse 23. This is a part of the Roman road that we talked about when we began the book of Romans. And it tells us, really I think it's a great summation of everything that we've learned to this point in the first three chapters. For some have sinned. Is that what it says? It says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. I want you to notice something. For all have sinned, that's the past, and fall short of the glory. It didn't say, and they did fall short, which would have been past tense. It says, and fall short, which is now. So we currently still have a problem of falling short of God's glory. And this is important to understand that this is past as well as present. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. So we're going to look at three words in particular. Not necessarily going to define them, though we could do that. But we want to learn something about these three words. And these three words are justification, redemption, and propitiation. Now you've probably all heard the, the first two words, redemption and justification. Propitiation is very much a biblical concept and term and knowledge. So you may or may not have heard of that word, uh, but you could have. So what is justification? Justification solves the problem of man's guilt before a righteous judge. Who's the judge? God is, right? So justification solves the problem of man's guilt without God, without his answer to the sin or the guilt problem, then we would be judged as unrighteous. Redemption solves the problem of man's slavery to sin. Slavery to sin is different than the occasional sin. The Christian can have the occasional sin. We shouldn't walk around trying to get away with sinning. It's not what that's saying. What it's saying is if you sin, what does the Bible tell us? You have an advocate, right? You have somebody to go to it also tells us that the Holy Spirit lets us know when we sin. And it does it through our conscience. How many ever had this, did something and then you go, oh man, I gotta go ask that person for forgiveness. Or I gotta ask God for forgiveness. I gotta repent. I gotta do something to change this. Redemption solves the problems of man's slavery to sin. And propitiation solves the problem of offending our Creator. Adam and Eve offended our creator. Not just because they did what he told them not to do, but the motivation was that they would be like God. So the motivation of their sin offended God. Imagine creating a perfect world, putting a man and wife in that garden, giving them everything they need, Telling them, you can eat anything from this garden except for this one tree, the fruit on this one tree. And what did they do? 
They went right, and it doesn't tell us how long, but they went right to the tree. And before long, Eve has her hands upon it, and then she's looking at it, saying, "This looks like good fruit to me. I'm not sure why. God must be trying to hold something back from us." And along comes the serpent and says, "You're going to be like God if you eat that." By our association, our guilt association with Adam and Eve, because we are their children, then we too have offended our Creator when we are in a sinful state uh, and not saved. But we're justified. Uh, we've come, we've come, fallen short of the glory of God, but we've been freely justified, freely by His His grace. You're human, and you know how you fall short of the glory of God. We all do that. So we are justified freely by his grace. I like to learn from you. So what does grace mean? What does it mean to you? I heard God's riches at Christ's expense. Unmerited favor. Undeserved. It's kind of like getting what we don't deserve and not getting what we do deserve. There's a question in your, one of your questions asks you to define grace. You can define it in your own words. But essentially it is uh, that we have God's unmerited, we didn't earn it, favor. And he has treated us better than what we deserve. Isn't that good? God's treated us in a way better than what we have ever deserved. So redemption comes through Christ. It cannot come any other way. What does the word redemption actually mean to you? Been bought with a price. That's a good scripture, Carol. It's in, in the Bible. It tells us we have been bought with a price, the precious blood of Christ. How many, this, this would date some of you. I don't actually remember this, but I've seen this given as an illustration. How many remember the little stamps that you would save when you went to the grocery store or whatever and you put in the book? Some, some green stamps, right? Did you say S and H? Yeah, S and H. And so, what was happening was they were giving you a benefit because you bought something from the grocery store, and then you could go back and redeem or buy something back with those that favor. They didn't have to give you those stamps and say you can buy this back with it. Uh, and so, redeemed means to buy back. And that's what Christ did for us because God owned us. We were his creation. We sinned. We came short. We fell short of the glory of God. We fall short daily of the glory of God. But yet God buys us back through the greatest price ever paid, the death of his son on the cross, right? The pawn shop. Yeah. A pawn shop has a similar concept. If you need money and you have something of value, you take something of value in, they give you a money, cash, worth less than the real value. You get a receipt for that. Later, you hopefully, if they haven't already sold it and you haven't run out of time, you can buy that back. Yes, yes, for more than you receive from them. Yes. That verse you mentioned, Carol's 1 Corinthians 6.20, where you were bought at a price. 
Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Romans 3, 25 and 3, 26. Whom God set forth as a propitiation. Who's he talking about? He's talking about Jesus. So God set forth Jesus as a propitiation by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness. Because in his forbearance, God had passed over the sins that were previously committed to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. What's this saying? Sounds confusing a little bit, but it's not. Who gave Jesus as the price or the ransom for us? The Father did. God did. Because God had forbearance. What does that mean? It's actually he saw the sins that had previously occurred and he either in advance or looking back forgave those. He had mercy on that. I don't say forgave, but had mercy on that. He forbeared. Let me know you forbear your children when they mess up sometimes. Hopefully you do. Don't beat them every time. We have forbearance for our children when they have done something wrong because we have love and mercy for them. That's what this is saying is that God looked at the past. He looked at the past. He looked at the sins of those saints of the past and he passed over them to demonstrate his present, at the present time, his righteousness. What is this telling us? It's talking about Jesus. So as Carol mentioned, all of those sacrifices, all of those blood sacrifices in the atonement sacrifices and all those things that were done in Old Testament times did not blot out or get rid of sin. I mean, knows that. What did it do? It pushed it forward. So if you were to come to my house and I have a dog and he sheds and I knew you were coming and I didn't have time to really clean good, I might sweep those dog hairs under the rug or you know it's kind of like what God was doing is he pushed those forward until a special day what was that day well actually the death of Christ right where those sins were not just pushed forward but were paid for that's why we can look at Old Testament saints and I've had people ask me this how could they make it to heaven because they didn't they didn't know Jesus they didn't call on Jesus but they had faith in a Messiah that had been predicted to come and they were obedient to give those sacrifices and to ask for forgiveness of their sins. Therefore, when Christ died on the cross, it wasn't just for forward sins that, were, that would happen, but it was for payment for all those that had happened even before. We talk about a powerful payment, a powerful sacrifice, and it has been paid in full. All of those sins, all the sins that we have done, and all of the sins that we will do, especially if we ask forgiveness for our sins and try to stay in that state of righteousness. I don't think we can purposefully sin and keep sinning, because I do believe we can fall away, but that price was for our future sins and for our past sins and for where we live right now. 
if you've ever had the luxury of paying off a house or a car, a few weeks after you pay it off, you get a statement that tells you paid in full. You don't owe any more for this thing. Isn't that good? I mean, that's good. I've got, I've got a few of those on some cars and different things, right? It's good news, right? This is good news that our sins have been paid for. It was God's idea for Christ to die upon the cross and be our substitute sacrifice. God set him forth as our propitiation. It was not just Christ who said, I will do it. It was God who said, I'll accept that sacrifice. So that's important for us to understand. The father was not unwilling to give his son. And Jesus was not unwilling to come and to be sacrificed. Just because they agreed to it didn't mean it was going to be easy. Father, if there's anyone, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, that's the most important statement in that set of scriptures. He did it anyway. Even though uh, he, in the physical, did not desire to do it. Don't think is just that his lack of desire to do it was, it was not because he didn't want to save us, but because he didn't want to have sin put upon him and separated so that he might be the just and the justifier in Christ. Christ was completely just because the penalty of sin had been paid upon the cross. So, I mean, God was completely just. An unjust God would have said, I forgive the sin and you don't have to do anything about it. That would be unjust. Because the Bible tells us that all of sin that comes short of the glory of God, it also tells us that wages of sin is what? Death. So if the payment for our sins is death, then and if, a, if God was unjust, he would have said, I'm going to forgive it without death. So he didn't do that. God was just, and he required that Jesus die upon the cross. So he required the sacrifice there's two ways. He showed justice by requiring a sacrifice, but he also showed mercy by providing the sacrifice. Anybody else's mind go back to Abram and Isaac? Abram takes Isaac to the top of the mountain, makes him carry the wood, binds him, puts him on it, raises the knife, and is ready to plunge it into his son and the angel of the Lord stops him and then the most significant thing is God tells him I've already made a sacrifice the Lord himself shall provide the sacrifice that was foreshadowing of Jesus coming in the Old Testament what was it it was a ram caught by its horns and the thicket so uh, that's that's the, the Old Testament. That's again, it's a good example of how the Old Testament foreshadowed and talked about this plan of salvation uh, through Christ. Because that ram was a symbolic picture of what Jesus would do for he took the place of Isaac. Verse 27. 
Boasting in the salvation which comes through the gospel of Jesus Christ is excluded. I didn't read verse 27. That's what I'm telling you that it says. Where is boasting? It is excluded. By what law? Of works? No, but the law of faith. We don't have any reason to boast about our salvation. Because we didn't do it. We didn't earn it. We couldn't have earned it. We were sinners in need of a Savior. And we have no reason to boast because Jesus did it all for us, justifying us through his grace. So we can't pat ourselves on the back. We can't congratulate ourselves. All we can do is trust in the mercy of God. I mean, if you, if you do something and you pay the price and you did it, then you can boast about it. But we didn't do anything to deserve what we got. That free, freely given grace of God. Freely given, but it cost Christ his life. Verses 28 through 30. Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law. Or is he the God of the Jews only? Is, is he not also the God of the Gentiles? Yes, of the Gentiles also, since there is one God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. This just supports that uh, statement. Uh, everything that has been set up to this point, everybody's a sinner. If God, God, it's only God who can justify us. It's only God who can save us. Apart from the deeds of the law, it doesn't matter whether you're a law keeper or trying to keep the law. It's not those, it's by faith in Christ. And thank goodness comes to the Gentiles as well. We're all Gentiles. What of the law then? Verse 31. Do we then make void the law through faith? Certainly not. If you're reading King James, it says, God forbid. On the contrary, we establish the law. So what's this saying? It's not the law that makes us righteous. But the law is not voided by our faith. As a matter of fact, the Bible tells us that Christ didn't come to obliterate the law or to get rid of the law. Uh, he came to fulfill the law. He is the fulfillment of the law. And so uh, the law is not made void through uh, our faith. Question one, according to verse 19, what is the purpose of the law? Demonstrate we're guilty. To demonstrate that we're guilty and to silence mankind. To silence them in however way they were trying to justify themselves. Question number two. The law can't what anyone? Can't save or justify anyone. Question number three. How did Adam and Eve try to justify themselves? Covering themselves up. Covering themselves with fig leaves is, is a part of what they were trying. They were trying to justify or cover themselves. All right, question four. God's plan of salvation is offered blank apart from the law. So God's plan of salvation is offered apart from the law. As you see that in verse 21. Question five. Justification solves the problems of man's Guilt before a righteous judge. judge. 
Question six, redemption solves the problem of man's what? Slavery to sin. Propitiation solves the problem of what? Of defending our creator. Find grace, however you define that. I wrote God's unmerited favor given to us without regard to what we deserve. Question number nine. How does God display both his justice and his mercy? Requiring sacrifice and providing sacrifice. The justice is requiring the sacrifice. The mercy is providing the sacrifice, capital T, which is Christ. Question 10. Is the law made void through faith, according to verse 31? No. No, certainly not. God forbid. It is not. 